Eric Voorhees is the founder of Shapeshift, now a decentralized cryptocurrency entity. And better than any person I know, he can make the case for Bitcoin understandable to us humans. I'm John Caldera, and this is the audio version of our television show, Devil's Advocate. You can watch that program by going to our YouTube channel, IITV. That stands for Independence Institute TV. Please subscribe and share this podcast. Enjoy. There's one guy I trust to talk about Bitcoin because somehow he can convert it into, into human speak. That's Eric Voorhees, the CEO and founder of Shapeshift, now a decentralized company. We're going to get into that. Eric, we have to do this thing at the beginning of this. What the hell is Bitcoin? So uh, Bitcoin is a money. It's a new form of money, although I guess not that new anymore. How long has it been around now? Is it 14 years? Well, today was its uh, 15th anniversary. Really? Yeah. Today is the 15th anniversary of the, the first Bitcoin block. That's so incredible. That's a nice, nice little coincidence. And by the way, for those that know, we're taping this right now. Bitcoin is about $42,000 a, a token. And um, I have come to love Bitcoin. People are still scared of cryptocurrencies because guys like you only use it to finance terrorism and illicit, and illicit uh, activity. What I love about Bitcoin is it's money you cannot inflate. There's only so many of them and there's a protocol that keeps it from growing. Do I have that about right? Yeah. Um, the simple way to think of it is that Bitcoin is a digital currency and the dollar is also a digital currency. One of them has a limited supply and one of them doesn't. So which one are you going to hold over the long term? And ever since Bitcoin's uh, creation, you know, 15 years ago, it has been by far the best performing financial asset in the entire world. And the dollar loses value every single year and it will forever. So it's quite interesting that people still prefer dollars. It's a habit uh, it's, that it's they a should fake. break. It is a faith that we feel comfortable with. And I, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I compare things to dollars, and that gives me a sense of things worth, even though the dollar isn't what the dollar is. Yeah. So government can take from you in three ways. They, they tax you until you had enough of that, and then you get angry. And then they regulate you, which means you have to do their work for them, uh, and that's just another tax increase. But the one nobody ever really talks about is how... The government steals your money by making more of it out of nothing. Used to be that our dollar was backed by gold, and now it's backed by faith. And since we got off the gold standard, the amount of dollars we have in society has multiplied many fold. So obviously, it's got to be worth a fraction of what it was before. Yeah, certainly anyone who's played Monopoly can like run this experiment yourself, right? Just let one of the players keep adding money to the board and see what happens to the prices of the properties. Like the same amount of property will be there, but the, um, the cost of the property will go up. And anyone playing Monopoly would realize that just creating the Monopoly money out of thin air is not actually creating wealth. Uh, it's just changing the prices. But it makes us feel wealthy. Our stock portfolio goes up. Uh, the property we own goes up. And we feel like we have... A million dollars when, in fact, a million dollars today is half well, a million maybe, dollars 
We should say it, uh, it makes the wealthy people feel wealthy because they own those assets, right? So wealthy people own stocks, wealthy people own property. Those, those assets appreciate when money is printed. But um, normal people, certainly the poorest people, they don't tend to own financial assets. And all they do is they go to the grocery store and they see that the price of food has gone up 15% since last year. And uh, that's inflation. That's from money debasement. Um, and it's really, I would say, a, a crime, like probably the worst crime committed in all of history because it continues year in and year out without stop. Uh, so <laughs> I wish more people were, were aware of it, but for those who are, there's alternatives. I want to get into those alternatives. Um, and we get it. Inflation kills. Inflation is not a normal thing. We have been conditioned that inflation comes like winter comes. It's just part of nature. No, it is, it is a monetary phenomenon because government makes more money out of nothing. And it seems like out of all the fiat currency in the world, the American dollar seems to be the best one. Would you agree, disagree, or you uh, just not care? It's better than most fiat currencies um, because most governments are even worse than the United States when it comes to printing and debasing currency. So if you compare it to other garbage, um, it is a little shinier. Yeah. But if you compare it to like actual real money, like gold or Bitcoin, um, the, it just loses value every single year forever. I think it was JP Morgan said, gold is money. Everything else is credit. I loved that statement. Uh, back then, all you could have was gold. What people have a problem with with Bitcoin is you can't touch it. I can take my Cougaran and I can play with it and go, there it is. People will give me these fiat dollars for it. I really can't do that with a Bitcoin. This is true. Uh, however, you can't send your gold coin to someone in another country instantly. Right? So they can't touch it until you spend a week sending it to them and pay for insurance and shipping. Um, it is the 21st century. A huge portion of global economic value is digital. And uh, it's silly that people think that just because you can't touch something doesn't means it's not valuable. Um, they don't yeah. realize that only 2% of their money is in paper. Everything else is ones and zeros. They're in a computer bank someplace. Correct. As I, as I said before, dollars are a digital currency. Something like 97 or 98% of all dollars are just digital bank account entries. So it's not that Bitcoin is digital that makes it unique. That makes it unique from gold, but it doesn't make it unique from dollars. Um, what makes it unique from dollars is that it's actually scarce and can't be debased. That's number one. Number two is it's not controlled by a government. That's what scares people, is that instead of the Federal Reserve saying who's got this and what bank has that and keeping an eye on it, this is completely decentralized. So it's kept on a whole bunch of computers. Let me explain it. Tell me if I got it right. So basically, people have a check, old-fashioned check register of uh, a ledger. And everybody else who mines Bitcoin also has those legis, uh, registers, and they all have to match up. If I give you a Bitcoin, and then all these computers agree, John gave Eric a Bitcoin, then we agree. Now you have that Bitcoin. That's pretty much how it works. So it's not one clearinghouse, mm -hmm. it's thousands of clearinghouses. Yeah. Is, that, is that a good way to do it? Yeah. I, like If you think about dollars, the ledger that tracks who owns what dollars 
is just an entry in a bank database or in the Federal Reserve database. Um, and because it's in that single entity's database, they can change it. The Federal Reserve can create dollars by just changing the number in the database. When you get a loan for a house, for example, the bank is just changing the database that it has of your dollars. It's not actually taking dollars from anyone. It's creating new dollars and giving it to you to go buy a house. Um, so that's how traditional dollars work. Bitcoin just says, okay, well, instead of one entity having control over the ledger, we will democratize it. We will let anyone running the software control a version of the ledger. And as long as they all match, then the system is sound. And if one doesn't match, then that person has lied about something. And so don't let them on the network. And um, the way that that works technically is uh, very interesting, but not appropriate for this show. But for those who want to learn about it, it can be, it's all open source. You can learn exactly how it works. It is an open book. And so when I hear people say, you know, it's dark, nobody knows what's going on with Bitcoin. It's actually the opposite. Everybody knows everything about where Bitcoin is going. And it's going here, it's going there. You see every transaction. So mm -hmm. if you know that I own that Bitcoin, you can follow that Bitcoin all around its travels around the world. Yeah. You see that, you know, account 123 sends one Bitcoin to account uh, 345, and that's public. Um, you don't have personal identifying information attached to those addresses unless you voluntarily go do that. But you can see how all the money is flowing around. Like, you can't do that with bank accounts, for example. So you've got folks like Senator Warren who are dead sent on destroying this technology. For all the bad you do personally with it, like uh, finance terrorism. That's my favorite. Uh, you finance terrorism, and of course you do all sorts of illegal uh, drug deals, gun deals, human trafficking. Uh, Eric Voorhees has been at the center of all that because you've, you've made it all happen personally. Yeah. Why is she wrong on that? I mean, isn't that how criminals pay for things? It's a lot easier for them to send Bitcoin or one of these other tokens rather than, than sending a check. Empirically, criminals use US dollar cash. 99 point whatever percent of all the criminal activity in the world happens with US dollar cash. Um, somehow society has worked even though cash is anonymous and even though all that crime can occur using cash. If Elizabeth Warren was actually concerned about crime, she should probably outlaw cash. The reason she doesn't try is because people are used to using cash, but it is far more anonymous than Bitcoin. If cash was like a new thing that was introduced today, it would be made illegal Im immediately, right? It would never be permitted. Bitcoin is less anonymous than that, and then people like Elizabeth Warren are angry at it. It's not, she doesn't actually care about the criminal stuff. Like, that's the cover. The reason people in the government don't like Bitcoin is because they can't control it, period. If, you're, if your entire career is based on controlling how people spend money and creating that money and giving it to your banker buddies, you're not going to like a system that comes along and prevents you from doing that. So it's not surprising that politicians don't like Bitcoin, and I wouldn't expect them ever to. Let's dive into that. Everything else is a smokescreen. Governments hate Bitcoin because it is a real currency. It doesn't devalue. And therefore, as theirs falls apart, Bitcoin becomes a savior. It becomes a gold. Let's remember during the depression, FDR outlawed personal ownership of bullion. You could not own gold. You could have a nice wedding ring, but you could not own a cougar rand. You could not have a little ounce of gold someplace 
that was illegal because that was a danger to the state. Why is Bitcoin a danger to the state? Why is it the same thing? Well, because the government gets a lot of its power to purchase things from the ability to print money. So they tax, they borrow, everyone's aware of that. Most people don't really understand that the third method is by printing money. And so if a form of money becomes widely used that they can't print, at minimum, you cut off a large portion of what the government uses to fund itself. Uh, you also enrich the people by doing that because when the government spends money that it just creates out of thin air, the, the people that pay for that are those who basically go to the store three months later and see that all the prices are higher. So um, if you want like an honest, transparent form of money that gives no one any special privileges, Bitcoin is the way to go. If you want uh, a currency that can be debased by politicians and printed and given out in favors to their political friends, then stick with dollars. I want to go through some scenarios. Something like a quarter of all Bitcoin has just, I don't want to say disappeared, but hasn't moved. That Bitcoin, when it started, was a hobby. It was worth fractions of a penny, and then a few pennies, and, and then, a, then a, a couple of dimes. And people would mine it on their, on their personal computer. And then they lost their compu personal computer, and it's in, you know, uh, smashed up in some landfill somewhere. And now it's worth $42,000 as, as we're, we're doing this. How much of the 21 million Bitcoin do you think is irretrievably gone? Um, probably a few million out of the 21 million Bitcoins that can never exist. And yeah, like, you know, back in 2009, someone that had 10,000 Bitcoin on their computer, that was worth a couple dollars, right? So if they lost interest in the project and threw away their computer without backing up the wallet, those 10,000 Bitcoins are gone. So probably a few million Bitcoin got lost in that way from the early years. Uh, certainly as it appreciated and gained value, people become much more careful with it. So people don't really lose Bitcoin like that anymore. But um, people lose Bitcoin. When fool, I fools, fools lose Bitcoin in the same way that fools crash their cars and, you know, like so harm themselves. As in a ways. fool who has lost Bitcoin, uh, uh, putting it in an interest bearing something that turned out to be a complete scam. Uh, you, you didn't lose it. You got robbed. I got robbed. Yeah, yeah. All right. I got robbed. But the problem with it is I got nobody to go to. I mean, there's not there's no place I can go and, and MasterCard, when I get robbed, pays me back. Who pays you back when you give cash to a criminal? Uh, at least the government can go and arrest the guy and hopefully I get restitution. That's true with Bitcoin. Uh, the, guy in, the guy in China who, who uh, had the, the scam site up, I, we're, it's not worth it. Well, I've been robbed uh, in multiple forms of money, and the government has never retrieved any of it, regardless of whether it's Bitcoin or dollars. So that doesn't help very much. But, but it's easier to make a mistake on Bitcoin. If you send it to the wrong address, there's, there's no undo button. Correct. It, yeah, and it so every requires... Time, every time I look at my Bitcoin, I, yeah. I bring it out and play with it, and I look at my coin, you know, it's like, I want to make sure I don't do anything wrong, because I, I have this fear that someday it's just going to go, bloop. It's like, where'd it go? Yeah, if you, um, if you really don't trust yourself, you can always let someone else hold your Bitcoin in the same way that if you don't trust yourself with $1,000 in cash, you can go use a bank, right? The same principle applies in Bitcoin. Um, but with Bitcoin, you can actually hold it yourself in any degree that you want. 
and you can send it without any third party being involved whatsoever. So it really gives you a lot of control uh, and it means that you need to have like a degree of personal responsibility. And I think a lot of people are not okay with personal responsibility. They would ra rather have Draw out that personal else. responsibility. You can keep your Bitcoin on a digital wallet uh, or you can put it in cold storage, which means you've got, you've got it uh, yourself. What's the best way to do it? Depends on your risk tolerance and the amounts that you're talking about. So you can hold Bitcoin on your phone, right? And there's no reason not to have a few hundred dollars of Bitcoin on your phone. If you lose it, it's not the end of the world. But if you have like a life-changing amount of money of Bitcoin, you wouldn't hold that on your phone. Just in the same way you wouldn't keep your entire uh, retirement savings in cash, you know, in your wallet. So these are the kind of things that you learn about if you get interested in Bitcoin. And there's not like a one-size-fits-all solution. You just tailor it to your own lifestyle preferences and your risk tolerance. Let me ask you to... Um... Do what you do better than most, and I know you hate this question, but it's looking forward. You look back for 15 years, and I can count how many times it was the end of Bitcoin. This is the bust of Bitcoin. It's ridiculous. It's over. You know, it, I remember going up to like $10, and it's like, this is ridiculous, and it went down to $2. It was a bust. Then it went up to $1,000, and people went, this is crazy. Then it dropped down to like 150 bucks. Then it shot up to 20 grand. Oh my God, this is it. And then it dropped down to like three grand. And then it was a couple of years ago, it almost hit $70,000 and then dropped all the way down to, to 16 grand. Now it's back up to 42 and I think it's going to keep going up. But why those crazy spikes? Why the volatility? Yeah, great question. Okay, so there's 21 million Bitcoin. And if, it's a, if it is a useful system, it will generally be adopted by an increasing number of people around the world. If that's happening, the price has to go up because there's only so many Bitcoins. Um, the price cannot go up in a stable way because if anyone saw an asset that appreciated by 100% a year in value, they would immediately start buying it up, right? And speculating on next year. So you, you start bending that curve and you turn it into a speculative bubble no matter what. And those are the spec the bubbles that we see every few yeah. years that pop up and they ping really fast and then they plummet down. But amazingly, that plummet floor keeps growing by, it looks like to me like a factor of four. Every time it goes up, it seems like it, when it comes back down, it's four times the size of the last bottom. It seems to be. The specifics are, are impossible to predict. What you can predict simply is the trend. Like, is this a useful technology? If so, it will generally grow over time. And you have to have like a multi-year time frame, right? Because it could fall 50% next month. That's possible. It's certainly done that before. Easy for you kids to have that time frame. Yeah, well, th this is what everyone can choose, right? You can either have Bitcoin that's volatile and goes up over time, or you can choose to have dollars, which are more stable, but decline every year forever. It's amazing how many people choose the latter. Because we were raised with it. Yeah, it is the, a warm is... pair. It's, it's a faded pair of jeans that feels so good. It is a faith we believe in because yeah. it's backed up by the full faith and credit of the American government. Yeah. Anyone who has faith and credit in the United States government is not paying attention. Why? Well, uh, just today we hit $34 trillion in, uh, in national debt. It's going up about 3 or $4 trillion a year at this point. $1 trillion of interest payments alone at this point. Per year. Um, 
it's growing far faster than GDP. So the math of that does not work out, right? It will lead to a bond market crash and uh, a horrible period of destitution for everyone that is connected with that system. You don't need to be deep into the financial world to understand the math of that problem. And um, you don't need to be stuck there. There are alternatives. The alternative is? Is Bitcoin, Bitcoin. is a good one. Gold is, is one. Real estate is like any, anything that's not based on the fiat currency system is better than fiat. When do you think this crash happens? I'm surprised it hasn't yet. I am too, but yeah. but inertia is an incredible thing I found yeah. out in, in the world of finance. It When Obama came and the money supply was skyrocketing, it's time, it's time for inflation, time to hedge, have a little gold, buy those gold stocks. It didn't come for another 12 years and then it came hard. So I don't, it will happen. It will go bust. And when it goes bust here, it will go bust around the world and it will be ugly. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you get interested in Bitcoin, of course, you don't need to wait for some big crash of the federal government for it to be a benefit. Like during this last 15 years, without some major government crash, it has appreciated by hundreds of thousands of percent. So uh, either way, right? Like if the economy keeps growing, even on fake money, Bitcoin does great. If the economy crashes because the government bond market blew up, um, people are going to be running to anything that is real, meaning anything that is scarce and useful. Uh, fiat is not scarce and won't be useful. Bitcoin is both. So I hold it and I've certainly encouraged others to do the same for many years. It's volatile, but that's the price you pay for admission. If you had $1 to invest, just somebody's listening, what would you put it in? Would you put Is this it in like Bitcoin? a 2024 dollar or like yeah, a 2024 dollar? Yeah, $2024 today. You got 20 bucks. Yeah, of course, of course, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, not Ethereum, I, not any of those other crap coins that are out there because there's thousands uh, of them. So yeah, I mean, in terms of other cryptocurrencies, um, there are thousands. Most of them are garbage. Um, Bitcoin and Ethereum are the two leaders, have been for years. Uh, I generally just tell people I'll do 50-50 in each. And if you want to research this stuff, do so, but be very careful because the, the risk people will hear about Bitcoin and they're like, cool, I like that, but I feel like I missed the boat. And then they go find some, you know, stupid scammy website somewhere promising some new coin that's just went up a thousand percent and they get tricked into that. And um, a lot of people get ruined in that process. So the fundamentals of these systems are important. It's not just gambling at all. There's a reason Bitcoin is appreciating like this. There's a reason it's useful. And if you don't understand why Bitcoin is useful and some other scammy token might not be, then you shouldn't be buying it in the first place. So I've I got a couple of coins and I want to retire at some point. I like to not, not work for money. I love my work. I'll never stop doing it. But boy, it would sure be nice. I was asking you about that. I said, well, I want to hit it at one of these peaks and then I'm going to have to sell it take the huge capital gain on it, and then maybe I can use that to, to, to buy my Winnebago that I can retire in, or whatever whatever it is. Um, you said, why, why do that? What's your, what's your suggestion? Yeah, so before, if you wanted to, you know, like cash out the Bitcoin, you sell the Bitcoin and get dollars back. Um, but now the market is a lot more advanced and you can simply borrow against the Bitcoin. 
So there are companies that allow you to do this. You can do it through DeFi or decentralized finance protocols. But basically, you, you put your Bitcoin up as collateral and you borrow some value less than the value of the Bitcoin. So like, let's say you put up $50,000 worth of Bitcoin and you borrow $25,000. You haven't sold the Bitcoin. So there's no capital gains tax on that. You've, you've just taken out debt against it. You can go do whatever you want with the $25,000. Um, if and when you ever pay that back, you get the Bitcoins back. And uh, at which time the Bitcoin might be worth $100,000. Sure, yeah. Or it could be worth five grand. Yeah. So if, if Bitcoin crashes horribly and the $50,000 worth of Bitcoin falls, you know, to the point of being only worth the $25,000 of debt, it'll get liquidated. And then you've lost the Bitcoin, but then you don't have to pay back the debt. So um, either way, it's a reasonable, reasonable option for some people. Is this something you do? Of course. Yeah. I don't sell Bitcoin. I haven't for years. Really? Yeah. How many I, Bitcoin do you have? I have, yes. two, I have two or three. Two or three? <laughs> yeah, the, 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 government, the government took the rest of them. Follows up to the next question. There are a few early adopters. You are among them. Uh, there was a guy who got nicknamed Bitcoin Jesus because I think he bought a million of them at a dollar or something like that. I don't know. That's the folklore. Yeah, that, that name came from uh, the fact that he proselytized Bitcoin wherever he went. Uh, that was Roger Veer. And yes, right. he, he used to be a close friend of mine. And uh, every... Every taxi or Uber we would get in for years, he would start talking about Bitcoin uh, to the point where it got a little obnoxious even to me. But he uh, he was a true believer and uh, he made a lot of people a lot of money. And did no longer a friend? We're not close. I mean, I'd still consider him a friend, but okay. we don't see each other much. But so here's here's my question though. As we turn to something that is a Bitcoin-based society, there's going to be a handful of you oligarchs who got in early and own everything. And therefore, there's not going to be nearly enough for the rest of us peons who can't afford $40,000 for a Bitcoin when you guys, or he bought it at a buck each. Yeah, there's a saying in the Bitcoin world, which is that uh, everyone gets Bitcoin at the price they deserve. <laughs> oh, what, and this what is, an uh, oligarchical, yeah. self-fulfilling thing. Here, here's the difference between uh, the oligarchy and, and people who are wealthy from Bitcoin. Um, oligarchs, like Russian oligarchs generally, were granted um, state property and just given state property for them, right? This is stuff that was like stolen from the people and then given to certain politicians who had good favor. Um, obviously, like that's not a good situation and, and nor is it ethical. In Bitcoin, it is a free market. There are no restrictions on anyone, ever. If you want Bitcoin, you go buy it. You buy it at the market price today or you buy it at the market price tomorrow. And that same rule applied to me when I first learned about it, and it'll apply to someone in a year or in 10 years. Um, no one has special privileges over Bitcoin. It is a egalitarian system. Uh, and what keeps most people out of it is either ignorance of it or skepticism about how it works. Um, but it treats everyone equally. It is blind. To everything but the code. I was skeptical for about a year and I really had to keep asking questions and asking questions and asking questions. And every time I asked a question and I found how it was going to fail, it didn't. It didn't. It is a secure system. Um, will the code ever break? Will supercomputers come in and make it so that I can actually steal or duplicate Bitcoin. 
Yeah, I mean, there's one, there's one thing when you put it in, when you put it at an exchange, you have money in, in Coinbase, and they get hacked, and somebody steals the coins that are there, and you're robbed. But will supercomputers uh, at some point make it so that the code is unsecure? So security is never a binary thing. Things are not secure or not secure. Things are, are neither secure or unsecure. They are somewhere on a spectrum of security. Um, I would never say that Bitcoin is a secure system, right? That's an absolute statement. Bitcoin has proven itself so far secure, and every expert in the world has a, you know, multi-billion dollar bounty on trying to break it. Um, but everything has risk. Bitcoin has risk. Um, dollars have risk. Ethereum has risks. Gold has risks. Uh, Everything has risk. And so people just need to understand that they live in a world of risk and they need to assess those risks and weigh them accordingly. To your question about like quantum computers and all that, um, yeah, someday quantum computers will break the encryption that Bitcoin currently uses. Inevitable. Uh, however, these are software systems that can be upgraded. So Bitcoin can be upgraded with quantum encryption at some point. Um, and people are obviously watching that, you know, very closely. So, yeah. Uh, treat it carefully and learn how it works. And um, no one should be putting their entire life savings into it, but they shouldn't put their life savings into any single asset, right? Like diversify and understand the risks of everything that you own. I want to get into what you did with Shapeshift. Shapeshift was an amazing company. And what you could do with Shapeshift is I could give you a Bitcoin and you would convert it for me for a small fee into Ethereum. I could give you Dogecoin and you could turn it into something else. Mm -hmm. And it was fast. I mean, fast. And so it wasn't this thing where you have hours of delay waiting for something to pop up in your wallet. It was, it was there in a matter of a minute or so. Um, what happened to Shapeshift? Yeah, well, so Shapeshift was a company I started in 2014. And uh, it was an exchange to trade different kinds of digital assets, Bitcoin into Ethereum and et cetera. Um, by the time we got into like 2018, uh, it had grown substantially. And uh, I was starting to get a lot of heat from various government regulators. They did not like the way that we built it, which was to protect the users by not taking their private information. Um, so the symbol that you had, the trademark or the mascot was a fox. Fox didn't have any eyes. Correct. Why? Uh, well, every was a cool looking animal, by the way. Yeah, yeah. He, he was great. Um, yes, foxes have a lot of important historical symbolism. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in my opinion, if someone is not accused of a crime, they're not even accused of a crime, uh, they should be permitted to be private, period true of the blinds on your windows and the locks on your door and the money in your account. Uh, the government disagrees with that. They believe that even if you're not accused of a crime, they should be able to see whatever they want. Uh, I consider that highly unethical. It's <clears throat> obviously a violation of the Fourth Amendment, not that they care. Um, and so we live by that principle of protecting people's privacy. Uh, and the government didn't like that, and so we had to deal with various regulators uh, for many years. Um, ultimately, I decided to decentralize the company entirely, which meant 
dissolve the corporate entity, turn the software into open source, decentralized software. Um, I'm no longer the CEO. There's no CEO. There's no employees. It's just an open source software project. And people contribute to it, participate in it. It still does much of the functionality that it did when we were a, a company. And um, that has allowed me to feel okay again, ethically, that I'm not violating people's privacy and doing things. You're that hurting I think my are wrong. brain. All right. It took me a while to understand crypto. It took me a while to understand Bitcoin. Uh, it took me forever to understand security methods and this and that. You had a company. The company no longer exists. But it exists. The software. The software exists. There are people who own the software because they own tokens that own the software. They control the software. Control the software. Yes. Using, help me here. Yes. So, I know. I know you feel like a grandkid trying to help no, Grandpa no, figure out how to program his VCR. But help me with this because I'm so used to an entity is something that your Secretary of State gives the permission. This entity exists. You guys can do business. But the the enterprise is still going on, but it's not really there. Um, a corporation is just a legal fiction. Uh, that the government creates. Business existed before corporations and it can exist without them. Um, in modern society, the reason that people need a corporation is because they need a bank account. They need a place to store their money and a bank won't open an account unless you have a corporation. End of story. Uh, if you don't need banks, then you don't need a corporation. And so if you live in the world of cryptocurrency, you don't need banks, which means you don't need corporations. So that principle underlies you know, the foundation of what we were able to do. Um, Shapeshift never handled fiat currencies. We were always cryptocurrency. So we don't need to tie ourselves to a certain jurisdiction or a certain bank account. We live in the internet. It's an open source software project that anyone in the world can contribute to. And it's governed by the token holders of the, what we call the Fox token, which is our own cryptocurrency. Um, people that control that token control the app. Uh, and is there a profit? Yeah. Can people so, can make it, and they get paid how? So the so if I go to Shapeshift now and I exchange tokens, Shapeshift takes a small fee. Yep. What happens to it? That small fee is in crypto. The fee is in crypto and it goes into a treasury held by in a crypto wallet. Um, that crypto wallet can pay out people for various services. So. If someone wants to come do marketing, they can say, hey, give me $100,000 and I'll go do marketing for you, Shapeshift. The token holders can hear the pitch and say, this person's credible, let's give them $100,000. And if they vote on it with their tokens, then money goes out of the treasury. So it really works just like that, right? So instead of having uh, an entity, an equity, and a board, we have an open source software project and token holders. But is, the, there, is there a location? Are people have to hit keys on a, on yeah. a thing, so there have to be human beings typing on computers. Are for, they employees? For I mean, in a, in a couple of years, it'll probably all be AI bots. But for now, uh, yeah, they're not employees. They're not like formally registered employees because that's also annoying. Um, <laughs> the government makes life hell for anyone who tries to have an employee. So we don't have any employees, and uh, but we can we as a as a collective can pay people, right? Send, send crypto to this address, send crypto to that address. And it all happens smoothly. 
um, based on the merits of someone who wants to. And something. in exchange, that person we're sending money to can fix our code or advertise yep. or deal with customers or. Yep. Yep. Now this this wouldn't work very well if we were handling physical products. So like turning a, a company into a decentralized organization doesn't really work if you have physical products. So it's not like a solution that any company could do. But if you're just a digital company, and particularly if you're a cryptocurrency company, um, there's no reason to be a corporation at all. And other people can have different opinions, but um, I've come to see being a corporation as a liability, not as an asset. Why? Well, as soon as you're a corporation, a whole set of regulations apply to you, first of all. Um, suddenly, if you want to work with someone, that's classified as an employee and all sorts of interesting restrictions come along, like what you can pay them and where they're allowed to work and what you have to report to the government about that person. And you have to take their private details and give that to the government. And you have to steal like part of their paycheck and give that to the government. Um, if they're in certain countries, you can't fire them. Like we, as a central company, we had employees in France and we couldn't fire them. So we made a rule that we're just never gonna hire anyone in France. As a decentralized organization, we can pay people in France, but they're not employees. So it's a much more free, um, pro-market way to do things. I think it captures the spirit of like what early America was about, where markets were just open and people could voluntarily interact with each other. Um, it's kind of a beautiful thing and it's nice to see it and participate in that. Do you have any idea just how fucking dangerous you are that everything you've just described will scare authoritarians to death? And when things get tight, not if, when things get tight, maybe in my lifetime, maybe in our kids' lifetime, but when the fiat problem turns Zimbabwe-esque or you know, uh, pre-Hitler uh, German Marx-esque, uh, they're gonna look at guys like you and you're gonna be the, you're gonna be the guy they wanna take out. Yeah. Matter of fact, I think they wanna take you out now you have a well, hard they, time going on airplanes sometimes. Yeah, they've been trying. Uh, I certainly get hassled every time I enter the country. Um, By whom? By our government? DHS, yeah. Department why? of Homeland Security. Well, I ask them why and they won't tell me. They have a lot of questions for me, but when I ask them questions, they aren't as friendly. What kind of questions do they ask you? I mean, it's embarrassingly simple stuff. What, uh, what do you do for work? Where have you been traveling? The, like these kind of questions. Like you could Google this stuff about me probably. Um, so I have to say that they're not very sophisticated, but they certainly waste a lot of my time. Uh, importantly, the cryptocurrency world is decentralized. So like it really doesn't matter what I do. Um, the government could take me out and imprison me, but it doesn't stop Bitcoin. There's no one you can take out to stop Bitcoin. What this is part of it. I, I want to pressure you on this. I look at authoritarian, true authoritarian regimes, China. I say, no more, no more exchanges here. No more mining here. You can't use crypto except our state uh, digital, centralized digital currency, which we can inflate and we can follow you around and control you. And by the way, if you don't act well, we'll just zap it out of your account or uh, make it so you can't get to it. So they can do that. They can make it illegal. The, the Senator Warrens of this world want to make it illegal. And so, great, I'll have a Bitcoin that it will be illegal for me to, to use. Yeah, well, they made gold illegal. That didn't destroy gold. Uh, certainly there's Bitcoin in China, even though China has banned it. 
Um, the government can't even prevent illegal drugs from existing, and those are actually physical, right? Like, what, it's amazing people think that you can outlaw Bitcoin and suddenly it'll go away. Like, it won't. Uh, but you can become a criminal. You can become Jimmy Lau uh, in uh, Hong Kong, we lie, and be, be imprisoned for sure, it. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, governments certainly try to ruin people's lives as they establish domination. Um, but they fail over the long term, right? They can succeed in the short term. But what brings down the dollar is not Bitcoin. What brings down the dollar is the printing of dollars forever. And that's going to happen with or without Bitcoin. But if there's an out, that's the problem that China yeah. had. Bitcoin was transferable. So you had people in China transferring their yuan to Bitcoin, sending the Bitcoin to someplace else, then moving that someplace else, and they were finally able to escape China because it gave them freedom. This is why you are dangerous. We don't want people to be able to escape and go off and live their lives and take their wealth with them. I mean, it's happening in California now. People are leaving and going to Texas. If, if California could just say, no, you have to stay here. And that's what China did. Why won't it happen here? Uh, I'm not sure it won't. Um, I worry that China is like looking at the United States 10 years in the future. Um, hopefully, the United States people will prevent that from happening. But the government on its own certainly won't. Um, so we will see. But again, China has not prevented Bitcoin from existing, even within China. Uh, and when their fiat currency falls apart, you know, like that's something they're going to have to deal with. So, uh, certainly, governments do not like Bitcoin. It removes the power over money from the state. How can you be so calm? Do you not understand that feel, what's at stake here? Because I feel, um, I feel ethical. I feel like I have the ethical high ground. And so that provides like a deep sense of calm and gratitude, actually. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and to know that like it's, it's not dependent on me or any other person. So to, to have participated in this to, and to help it grow, um, I feel that it is close to inevitable. And it may not be Bitcoin, but it, a decentralized money is inevitable. Um, and so to participate in that is very fulfilling. And I'm just trying to get enough people to learn about this stuff before systems start falling apart. If not Bitcoin, what could it be? Could could be anything. Like it doesn't really matter which cryptocurrency it is, but the the idea of oh, decentralized the, money decentralized that cannot money. be inflated. Yeah, or it's you can even have cryptocurrencies that are inflated, but they're inflated according to a transparent set of rules. Like there are cryptocurrencies that inflate one percent per year forever. Right? That's no less ethical than Bitcoin. Um, as long as it's transparent and no one has special privileges, then it's ethical. And uh, so people experiment with these things and um, with time, humans can use whatever they want. Would you be less calm if you had no Bitcoin right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually before, so I learned about Bitcoin in 2011. Before that, I cared a lot more about politics and I was a lot more worried about the state of America because I felt stuck in it, tied to it. But um, with Bitcoin comes a certain degree of, of self-sovereignty, 
I'm not tied to any jurisdiction, right? Um, no one knows how much money I have. Sometimes I don't even know because I forget where some of it is, but. <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> um, not, not when you lose it forever. But uh, it, gives you a, it gives you a degree of freedom and sovereignty over your own life, which is very empowering. And um, with that, I care less about how politics goes because I can opt out of it to a greater degree. And so I want to help others have that freedom. So for guys well. like me, I see things in, in monetary terms, not fiscal terms, monetary terms. And I look at the monetary situation and it gives me heartburn. And then I realize that America's monetary system is so much more secure than the rest of the world's monetary systems. And that just, it, 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 it's like knowing the world is going to explode and nobody else seems to see it. It's like being that scientist in all the movies where they say, oh, the asteroid is coming. Everybody goes, oh, that's nice. And you're like, no, the, the asteroid is coming. Are you saying that with Bitcoin, the asteroid is, is coming, but it's not going to affect me nearly as much as every, it, gives you, it, gives you, it gives you a level of financial security? Yeah. My financial security is not tied to what the Federal Reserve does or what various politicians do. I can't escape the collateral damage and the effects. Like I think when the government bond market falls apart, it's going to be apocalyptic. Um, and I don't want to see that suffering. Give a description of, apoc of apocalyptic when that happens, when the bond market falls. I mean, everyone who is 50 years old and older who thinks that they're retiring on Social Security, which is a fixed number, and um, the dollar starts inflating significantly each year, will find themselves completely destitute. And you're going to end up with tens of millions of like elderly people who have no source of um, income or sustenance. Like that is incredibly depressingly dark. And it's awful because they've been led to trust in the social security system. Like it's literally called security. Um, people trust in that and it's going to break. Uh, so I don't know how bad it gets, but it gets really bad. And um, what scares me about it is that when that happens, it's usually followed by a war. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what happens. Like pro my, my hope, frankly, and this is getting very speculative now, but my hope is that um, at some point, individual states start seceding, realizing that like this is a catastrophe and first ones to opt out are going to be the best. Um, just secede from the federal government, be a state. All the most important things that governments do are generally state or local anyway. Uh, the federal government is most of the burden and least of the value. And so in the most peaceful outcome, I think you get states breaking away and you just get a collapse in the federal government. All the wealth that exists, real wealth, still exists, right? Like every home is actual wealth, right? Every factory is actual wealth. The car that you have is real wealth. That stuff doesn't vaporize. Um, but dollars vaporize, bonds vaporize, and at least in the short term, like... Why do bonds vaporize? I think people don't quite get the whole bonds slash money. Yeah, so bonds vaporize because um, someone has lent money to the government and is expecting dollars back at a certain rate. 
if those dollars are continually debased, then you should sell the bond because you're getting back actually less than you gave. Why them. would I buy a U.S. bond? Great question. When 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 I buy the bond and it says it's going to be, give me five percent back, but at this point, as things fall apart, five percent back compared to the twenty-five percent inflation I'm having, I'm still losing money. I mean, even today, like inflation's around five percent, right? So if you're getting five percent on your bonds, you're basically loaning money to the government for nothing. Why do people do this? It's madness. Because they don't want inflation to eat up their savings. Right. But they could buy something else. They could buy gold. They could buy equities. They could buy property. They could buy Bitcoin. Why Any, it, anything else other than bonds. Why hasn't <laughs> gold gone up the same way as Bitcoin? I mean, I thought gold would, would go up right after Obama started pumping money out of thin air. And yeah. It hasn't. Um, I Cryptos think, have gone crazy. Gold has languished. Well, so gold is still 10x the value of all crypto combined, first of all. So it's just a much bigger market, and bigger markets are more stable than smaller markets. But it's a fair question. I think a lot of the excitement for an alternative store of value from the perspective of money has, over the last 10 years, gone into crypto instead of in, in Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin has many of the attributes that make gold good money, and it has some attributes that gold can't compete with. The, the major problem is that you can't use gold in a modern society without trusting another party. Like, you can't use gold to pay Amazon without trusting some intermediary that gives you like a digital version of gold. And then you're just trusting that intermediary. So if the government ever wants to outlaw it, they just go take out that intermediary. With Bitcoin, there you don't have to have an intermediary. So it can work at scale as an alternative. Um, and it's scarce, just like gold is. So it has significant advantages and I think is much more appropriate for a 21st century digital economy. One last question on, on stable coins. The idea is that, wait, nobody takes Bitcoin. I mean, they do, but I can't, I can't buy a, a pack of gum with it. I still need to whip out a dollar bill or a credit card. So they've come up with stable coins, which is you buy a coin, it's worth a dollar, and it'll always be worth a dollar. I've never quite understood how it works. Is it because, is it based on the idea that uh, the, the company that does stable coins they know that what they have over time is going to increase in value because of its scarcity. That's the profit that allows them to, to put out the, no, it's the dollar? No, it's not that complicated. Um, so stable coins are basically just cryptocurrencies that are stable to a dollar. There's a few ways to do it. The main way is that a company will accept real dollars and then issue a crypto token. And that token is always redeemable for a dollar that they have in the bank. So that token is always going to trade at a dollar as long as that company is trustworthy. That token now can move around the world just like a Bitcoin would. I can send it to a friend in any country instantly from my phone. So it, it has all the frictionlessness of a Bitcoin, which is great, but it's stable like a dollar. So I wouldn't hold... But the dollar can still go down in value, so... Well, it will, but right. it's more stable over the long or over the short term, right? Tomorrow, a dollar is roughly worth a dollar, whereas Bitcoin could be 5% up or down. So uh, for short term, like... Stable coins are great. Like they're way better than using dollars at a bank because I can send stable coins to anyone instantly and no one can stop me. Um, I just wouldn't save value in that form over the long term because they're going to fall in value over time just like dollars do. Um, but the way that the companies make money, so they get, let's say they get in like a billion dollars of, of real dollars and they issue the tokens. They take those real dollars and they buy treasuries or something. They take all the interest on that 
the people that deposited are happy because they now have the tokens as their, their currency. Um, and it's a win-win. So they've proved hugely successful um, and uh, they are a big part of the crypto economy. I'm a fan of mobility, physical mobility. Show me a man who can go as far as he can walk, I'll show you a man in despair. And that's why um, a car in America is, there, is your key to freedom if you don't have that. And for years, I would go down to the state capitol and pound my fist and say, we need to allow carpooling for profit. We need to allow jitneys. We need to have competition to RTD. We need to, and it doesn't matter if it was an R-controlled legislature or a D-controlled legislature. Every bill that I got introduced would get killed in the first committee without a shot. And all it would do is help poor people. All it would do is give more options. All it would do is um, allow for people to say, you're going my way? Give me a dollar and I'll, I'll help give you a ride. Only give people mobility, only give people a taste of the American dream, only give people that first step on the, on the financial ladder. And I'm there bashing my head against the wall, having no idea that a bunch of geeks are pounding on typewriters or computer pads and creating Uber and Lyft. And they go right around the system. Now, when they got here, one of the things that Independence Institute did is we helped protect them because the PUC wanted to put them under. That's why we exist. All these little fights that nobody knows about. But the reason they were able to stay is because they grabbed such market share. They were faster at grabbing market share than the state was in destroying their ability to enter the market. Mm -hmm. So the only way Bitcoin and crypto survive is if people like you and the system gets so popular that it's adopted so quickly by so many people that it becomes like Uber. Nobody, nobody worried. Wait, I'm going to get in a stranger's car. What? He's not a taxi cab. How do I know who he is? What if he takes me to the wrong place? What about all those fears over the time just melted into nothing? People love an Uber so much more than a taxi cab any day. The same thing with crypto particularly Bitcoin, if we get adoption. This is what makes you unique. Yeah, there are a lot of Bitcoin evangelicals out there, but not that many because libertarians are into Bitcoin and libertarians are just not into evangelicalizing. They're not into persuasion. They like being right uh, and they like arguing, but they don't like persuading. They don't like explaining. They don't like tempting and keying off of people's curiosity to ask more questions and then more questions until people become familiar with it. This is why what you do for this digital economy, what you do for freedom, is one of the most important roles anybody does. And I know you just do it because you love it, but do you get a sense of what you're doing is a radical freedom mission or are you just doing it because you're rich, got nothing else to do? Uh, I mean, it is profoundly, profoundly fulfilling to be able to help build a system which I believe has done more for liberty than any other set of political actions in history. Um, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency broadly, combines like the power of 
economics and monetary theory with with essentially liberty that is like hard coded into the system. Um, it can't be broken by any government. Like the encryption is, it is based on a, a strong form of encryption and math that like doesn't matter how many guns you have, you can't break it. Um, it's incredibly powerful. And ever since I first got involved in it, I thought it was the, just the coolest thing ever. Um, that you can also make a bunch of money in it is doubly cool because most people have to decide if they want to work on something that is deeply meaningful or that they can make a lot of money at. Crypto is like one of those realms where it's both. So um, yeah, it's great. I mean, my, my goal is that the entire fiat financial system goes away and is replaced by an open, transparent, equitable, objective, math-based, immutable, permissionless form of money. And um, it is working slowly. You know, we're like, we're 15 years into this. Bitcoin is very strong, it is growing. There's 100 million people around the world that use this stuff. And uh, I just want more people to learn about it and learn how to use it safely because it takes a little bit of responsibility. Um, is it yeah. being adopted as quickly as you'd like? No. Um, as quickly as you expected? I thought it would happen faster. Um, and I thought people would accept it as payment faster. That's like what we really all got wrong in the early days. We thought like, oh, merchants will be accepting this in a couple of years as payment. That's true a little bit at the margins, but it's not widespread. And I think it's kind of like the last step, not the first. So when, when, you know, when 2 billion people in the world have cryptocurrency, most merchants are going to accept it. But we're not there at this point. So is it a currency slower. or is it a commodity? It's both. Uh, a good currency should be a commodity. Dollars that were backed by gold were both. They were a currency and they were pegged to a specific weight of gold. So they were a proxy for a commodity. The, to separate a currency and a commodity is like a new invention. Um, and that everyone fell for it is kind of sad. Taking way too much time here because it's just so fascinating. All right. A year from now, we did this roughly at the beginning of 2024 when you and I have a beer in a year. Um, what do you think the news is going to be on, on Bitcoin? That it doubled in value? That it's been outlawed? What? Uh, Bitcoin will be over $100,000 in a year. That's my prediction. Um, won't be outlawed. Uh, it'll will be, it stay over 100000 Or will that just be one of those pike spikes then that goes... I think the out. peak will be much higher than $100,000. Uh, after the next bubble blows up, um, could it dip below 100000 For sure. So I don't know where it ends up, but... I would say it ends up somewhere between 50 and 200K. And, um, you know, most importantly, like people should just learn how to be using it safely. That's like, that's what matters. You're amazing. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Sure. If you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend. And I hope you'll subscribe and follow the show. We have new ones released weekly. Remember, this audio was taken from our TV show. To watch it, just search the letters IITV for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations. 